Amen, and thank you. As I was listening to Beth and the choir sing, I remembered so many trials and valleys in life, and yet as you walk through them, you look over and, and the Lord is right there with you. Sometimes you don't always see the presence of the Lord, but you know that he's right there with you and that you're going to make it. Then I looked out and saw Barbara Porter. Barbara, I'm glad that you're back. She has been... Uh, absent for a while and it looks like you're going to make it. I think she has eternal life. Well, when I was a, when I was a boy and going to go somewhere, my mother would always ask me two questions. First of all, where are you going? And secondly, who are you going with? Now, the first question is obvious. The second question probably is more important because she realized that who you spend time with is going to affect who you are. So if you spend time with people who are negative, chances are you're going to become a negative person. Sometimes I listen just for fun to the radio talk programs, the sports programs. But one of the things that I have noticed is that when someone calls in and they begin to criticize the team, they begin to criticize the coach, they begin to criticize the plays, they begin to criticize the officiating, then others who criticize begin to call as well. It seems like it sort of primes the pump and that if one person begins to criticize, then other people join in. That's not only true in sports, that's true in the community. If you spend time with people who criticize the community, you probably are going to become critical of the community. If you spend time with people who criticize the church, you probably are going to begin criticizing the church. Let me encourage you not to allow your ear to become a garbage can for someone else's trash. Now, that is true spiritually as well as it is socially. If we are around people spiritually who are negative, then we have a tendency to become judgmental, we despair, and there is no hope. On the other hand, if we spend our time with people who are positive, we have a tendency then to become loving and we believe there is hope because there is always hope in the Word of God. But what if we spent our time with Jesus? How would that affect us? Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 5, and we continue studying through some of the passages in the book of Acts to see what the church was and what the church should be. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 5, and it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, 
Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. What was it about John and Peter that caused them to be recognized as men who had been with Jesus? What were the characteristics that caused these to look at them and declare, these men have been with Jesus? Well, first of all, they were spirit-filled. In verse number 8, the Bible says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Now, this is the fulfillment of a promise the Lord made to the disciples. In John chapter 14, verse 16, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. So because then of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, they had tremendous power that was not explainable. You see, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3 that they had healed a man who was lame. In fact, he had been lame from his mother's womb. And that's what this is all about. So the scripture says in Acts chapter 3 verse number 7, And seizing him, the lame man, and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Now, ladies and gentlemen, If we spend time with Jesus, then we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we have a power that is unexplained by the world. I think you especially see that demonstrated in Pentecost. You remember, I'm sure, the story of Pentecost. Simon Peter preached. 3,000 people were saved. People were speaking in other languages. I mean, it was a glorious day. 3,000 people saved and baptized. So the Lord began to work. Now, how did the people respond to this power? Well, they didn't understand it. It was not explainable. And the Bible says that as the people observed what had happened on Pentecost, that they were bewildered. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 6, And when this sound occurred... The multitude came together and were bewildered because they were hearing each one speak in his own language. Vine says this literally means to pour together. Bewildered means to pour together, commingle. Hence means to trouble or confuse, to stir up, to be in confusion. So as the people then was watching what was happening on Pentecost, The Bible says that they were bewildered. They they saw this demonstration of the power of God. And they were bewildered by it. They They were confused by it. And the scripture says that there are others who were amazed by it. In Acts chapter 2 verse number 7, he says, And they were amazed and marveled. 
All right, so here then is the demonstration of the power of God that is not explainable to them. And as they watched what was happening, the Bible says that they were bewildered. They were confused by it. They were amazed at what they saw. And then they were perplexed. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 12, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity. Albert Barnes wrote, the word perplexity is applied to those who are traveling and are ignorant of the way or who hesitate about the road. They did not know how to understand it or explain it. All right, so the word then was used for someone who is lost. They are perplexed. They don't know which way to go. That's the way that they responded to Pentecost. And it goes on until some of them supposed that it was merely the effect of new wine. All right. On the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter preached. 3,000 people were saved and baptized. People were speaking in other languages. And so it was a great demonstration of the power of God. Now, how do you explain that? If you are a person who has not experienced that, how do you explain that? You know what they said? I think they're drunk. I, I, I think that they have imbibing some. So that was the explanation because it was something that was unexplained. Folks, when we spend time with Jesus, we are filled with the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we have an unexplained power and we have an unusual love. When the Spirit of God is in control of your life, folks, you're not looking for someone to criticize. You're looking for someone to love. And I think that's demonstrated by missionaries who go into other places. They leave their families. They leave their homes. They leave that that is familiar to them. They go into other places and they spend their lives oftentimes in a place where it's very dangerous. Why? Because they love Jesus and because they love the people to whom they are ministering. All right, so it says then that they observed Peter and John and said, these men have been with Jesus. How'd they know that? Because they were spirit-filled. They had an unexplained power, unusual love. Another characteristic is that they were courageous. When we spend time with Jesus, it gives us great courage. Now, you know the story of Peter. He denied the Lord. He stood before that little 90-pound girl and said, I don't know who he is. He, de he denied the Lord. But here we see a demonstration of tremendous courage. Look at verse number 9. If we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Can you imagine that? Simon Peter stood right before those people and said, this man whom you crucified. That took courage. You crucified him. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. You crucified him. That was tremendous courage. Reminds me of the story of uh, Samuel when he came to David. You know that David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and so forth. And Samuel was going to point it out. He told the story about the little ewe lamb. And when he told the story, then King David said to the prophet, he said, well, this man deserves to die. And the prophet stood before the king and said, David, you're the man. You're the one who did it. You're the one who is guilty. 
You see, folks, when we spend time with God, then we have supernatural power. And then look at verse number 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Simon Peter stood before them and proclaimed Jesus as the only way of salvation. There is no other way. Well, that's certainly not politically correct today, is it? You know, people are willing to say, well, you know, Jesus is a way. He is a way for the Christians, maybe. But we're all drinking from the same stream. We're just using different straws. That's not what Simon Peter said. He said there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved and that is the name of Jesus Christ. He had tremendous courage because he had been with Jesus. Paul had courage even as he faced death. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Paul was facing death and he said, I'm ready to die for Jesus. He had that kind of courage. When the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives, we have courage. You know, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm just tweeting up a storm. One of the things that blesses me is that I read a whole lot more than I write, but one of the things that blesses me is that so many of, of our young people, college students, now, students over here, high school, middle school, they're always on their tweeting. And boy, they tweet about Jesus. I mean, they have, I'm amazed. I, I know that there are a lot of people today, they talk about the young people and, and how, you know, how worthless they are. You ought to read some of the tweets that they're writing. I mean, we have some kids who love Jesus. They are really committed to Jesus. And I am blessed by that. That kind of curse. See, they understand that they live in a world where the line has been drawn and you're on one side or the other. They understand that better than some of us who are older. And so they have courage that some of us who are older do not share. Folks, when we have been with Jesus, we have courage. There's another characteristic they were confident in verse number 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John. Barnes says this word properly denotes openness or confidence in speaking. It stands opposed to hesitancy and to equivocation in declaring our sentiments. Here it means that in spite of danger and opposition, they avowed their doctrines without any attempt to conceal or disguise them. They had confidence in the Lord to speak without fear. They were going to speak about the Lord. There is a story in the Old Testament about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar had erected an idol and told everyone to bow down to the idol. Well, everyone did except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to do so. The king heard about it. He called them in and he says, now we're going to do this again. I'm going to give you another opportunity. You bow down. Everything's fine. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, they said, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Talk about confidence. Talk about confidence. Ladies and gentlemen, when you spend time with the Lord, you have a confidence 
that the world does not have. I read an article within the last week or so about a Christian couple in Oregon, perhaps you've read it, but they owned a bakery. They're under investigation because a lesbian couple had come to them wanting them to bake a cake for their wedding and they refused to do so because it was contrary to the beliefs that they held, so they didn't do it. As a result of that, there were demonstrations and so forth outside their bakery to the degree that they had to close their business. They could not make a living anymore. On their Facebook page, they posted this after they closed their business. Better is a poor man who walks in integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways from the book of Proverbs. Absence of fear. The disciples had confidence to speak plainly. They had confidence because they had been with Jesus. Another characteristic is that they were committed. In verse number 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. They had determined that regardless as to the price, they were going to be faithful to the Lord. They were committed. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If we do not get somewhere that level of commitment, then we are going to lose our religious liberties. Albert Barnes wrote, It has already been remarked that these two verses, 19 and 20, contain an important principle in favor of religious liberty, the liberty of conscience and private judgment, the responsibility of men for their religious opinions is direct to God, and that other men have no power of control. The opposition of this is tyranny and oppression. If we do not rise to this level of confidence and commitment, we will lose our religious liberty, and we're dangerously close to doing that already. How did they know that they had been with Jesus? Well, they were filled with the Spirit. They had courage, confidence. They were committed and so forth. Well, how do people react to someone who has been with Jesus? There's not much of a reaction if you've been to church, is there? You could walk out the doors uh, this morning and people won't react much. Been to church. How long did the preacher preach? Too long. But when you've been with Jesus, how do the people react? Well, the Sanhedrin interrogated them. They began to question them in verse 7. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire about what power or in what name have you done this? You see, the problem that the Sanhedrin had is that a lame man had been healed. That was the problem that they had. There was a lame man who had been healed in the name of Jesus. Now, how did the disciples respond to their question? Verse number 9. If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this name... This man stands here before you in good health. Now, isn't that interesting? If we are on trial for a benefit done to a sick man. G. Campbell Morgan wrote, This story 
of the first opposition reveals for all time the nature of opposition to Christianity. I thought about that. I read that verse and then I read Morgan's comment and I, as I thought about it. You know, that's right, isn't it? A benefit done, they are attacked for a benefit done to sick man. And then Morgan says that that is the way that Christianity is always attacked. Christianity is always attacked for a benefit done. Well, I think about the pro-life movement. Pro-life people desire to save lives. But then they are attacked for being anti-women's health. Attacked for a benefit done. People who believe in traditional marriage seek to strengthen the marriage, but then they are attacked for being homophobic. So the Sanhedrin attacked them for benefit done. And the Sanhedrin gathered in conference to discuss. Now look at verse number 15. This is interesting to me. But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they began to confer with one another. They're having a private conference here. Saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. All right, so they couldn't deny the miracle. Here is a man that everyone in the community was familiar with. He had been lame from his mother's womb. He was a beggar at the temple. They were all familiar with him. So they couldn't deny it. So what did they decide to do? Look at verse number 17. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They couldn't deny the miracle, so they said, then let's silence the witness. I mean, here's a, here's a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. Now he's up walking around in the name of Jesus. He had been healed. They couldn't deny that. So they said, well, then let's silence the witnesses. Let's tell them not to speak anymore in his name. You know, that is the one danger, that is the one, the primary thing that I detest about the political correctness of our day. It silences discussion. See, you don't have to agree on everything to discuss it. But today, there is a desire to squelch all discussion of the opposition. And that is a dangerous thing. We are especially seeing it today. So there's interrogation and then there's an attack. They held them in contempt, verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. They saw them as uneducated. Barclay says they had no kind of technical education, especially in the intricate regulations and causatory of the law. So what they did is, don't pay any attention to these people. They're uneducated. I mean, for heaven's sake, these are flat earthers. These are people who are anti-science. Don't, don't listen to what they are saying. They are untrained. Barclay said they were laymen with no special professional qualifications. Okay, so these are just laymen. You don't pay any attention to them. We know best. I'm getting tireder and tireder and tireder of the leaders 
who know more about what is best for me than I do. I mean, they, they know better as to how I'm supposed to raise my kids. They know better as to how my money's supposed to be spent. Reminds me of a quote by Mark Twain. This is not my quote, it's Mark Twain. He said, suppose you were an idiot. And suppose you were a member of Congress. But then I repeat myself. Mark Twain. They held them in contempt. They threatened them. Barclay said they were told what would happen if they went on with the course they had chosen. And ladies and gentlemen, the strategy remains the same today. It is no difference. Those people who believe the word of God, they are radicals, akin to the Taliban. Don't pay any attention to these people. They are anti-education. They are anti-science. They are laymen who don't know what they're talking about. That's the reaction of people to those who've been with Jesus. But if we spend time with Jesus, we may see that revival. Steve mentioned that earlier. If we really spend time with Jesus, that is how change comes. That that is how revolution comes. And there's evidence of those who have been with Jesus, with the disciples. They had divine power and supernatural boldness to speak. There was evidence. There was evidence that the Apostle Paul had been with Jesus. The Bible says in Acts 9.21, And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name? What happened to him? He had been with Jesus. His life was changed. When we have been with Jesus, our lives will be changed and there is evidence. When we spend time with Jesus, we are committed to him. In verse number 20, For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Their commitment was to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, when you spend time with Jesus, you're going to be committed to him. If you spend time with him. If you spend time with Jesus, you will worship him. Verse number 23. And when they had been released, what happened to them? They're released. They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh, Lord, it is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Their worship was not compromised. Ladies and gentlemen, if you spend time with Jesus during the week, you can't, you can't wait to get here on Sunday morning. I was driving in this morning as I do every Sunday morning. Excited about spending some time with you, the people of God. I love to gather with the people of God at First Baptist Church and worship our Lord together. Sing praises to our Lord together. If you've been with Jesus, you worship him. And you become a witness in verse number 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They became witnesses, and so do we when we've been with Jesus. Let me conclude. Today, the world is trying to pressure us into embracing ungodliness. It does so the same way. Contempt. The world holds in contempt. The values declared by the word of God, threats, they threaten us. How do we overcome? How do we overcome? Well, if we can just get a Republican in the White House, 
If we can get a Democrat in the governor's office, that's going to do the trick. No, it isn't. We overcome when the people of God are with Jesus. Be committed to him, his word. Worship him as the only God of salvation. Tell others about him. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. My friend, you and I need to spend time with Jesus because that will change your life and my life and that will change our community if we spend time with Jesus. Do people know you've been with him? If you've been with him, they know. And if you haven't, they know. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the disciples and their testimony. And we thank you for the privilege that we have in this day, a challenging day, just as was theirs, to make an impact, a difference in society and in our world as a result of having been with Jesus. Lord, bless this invitation time, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, the choir's going to sing, we extend an invitation. If you're here without Christ, you've never been saved, I, I encourage you today to commit your life to Christ. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you, we'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me please, as we stand they sing, as they sing you come, I'll greet you as you do.